The third Sunday of Advent is traditionally called Gaudete. Gaudete, Latin for rejoice. Gaudete Sunday is in the liturgical calendar of the Western Church, including the Roman Catholic Church, the Anglican Communion, Lutheran churches, and some other mainline Protestant churches. It can fall on any date from December 11 to December 17. Rejoice in the Lord always. St. Paul writes in this week's lectionary, in many churches a lighter, different color, rose, is used as a color today. We light the pink candle today. Most of the lectionary readings emphasize celebration, anticipation, and joy. Sing aloud, the prophet Zephaniah instructs us. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, says Isaiah. Every time at this time, every year at this time, we eagerly anticipate our journey to Bethlehem. But before we reach our destination, we have to get past the menacing voice of John the Baptist, crying in the wilderness. That rude intrusion dominates the Gospels for two of our Advent Sundays. And so despite our desire to embrace angels and shepherds and visions of sugar plums, we must deal with this outrageous character who jumps into our path dressed in animal hide with a scruffy beard and scary eyes. John is indeed the barking dog on the road to Christmas who shouts of vipers and axes and consuming fire when what we really want to do is finish our shopping, get the tree up, and embrace the glow of this joyful season. However, I am beginning to see that the appearance of John is necessary in God's plan for us. We cannot make room in our hearts for a Savior if we don't think we need saving. Grace has no meaning unless we comprehend how limited we are in our own accomplishments. If we think we can buy a big house and fill it with happiness through our cleverness and wealth, we need John to violate our comfort zone, barking, snarling, and forcing a reassessment of our values. Like most of you, I would prefer a journey to Bethlehem that avoids John the Baptist. I've never liked the kind of religious people who wave the Bible at me, play on my emotions, or tell me with smug satisfaction, well, you see things your way, and I see things God's way. Last week, John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. This week, he's a name-calling zealot for repentance, threatening wrath, fire, and axes. You brood of vipers, you sons of snakes. I don't want to hear about Abraham. I don't care who your daddy is. I want you to do something. <laughs> he doesn't want excuses. He wants action. Bear fruits worthy of repentance, he says. He calls people snakes. He says God could find better among the stones. He says that the more powerful one comes to separate useful wheat from worthy, worthless shaft. He says a fire is being prepared. Sorry about that. And some of you will be thrown into it. That message just oozes joy, doesn't it? Where's the comfort and peace? According to St. Luke, great crowds streamed into the desert to get yelled at by John. Why? Why were they so willing, no eager, 
to hear his fire and brimstone preaching, what attracted them. The first clue might be in the question they asked John at the conclusion of his sermon. What then should we do? That's not a question people ask when things are going well. It's the question we ask when we've come to the end. When whatever advice we received has failed, when our defenses that have always been useful are down, when our lives are splitting apart. It's what we ask when we're weary, bored, disillusioned, or desperate. What should we do? John's answer provides our second clue. Imagine John, a wild beast of a man, rough and dressed in camel's hair and fueled by locusts. His appearance stretched the margins, even for his day. What was the crowd anticipating from such a wild creature? Maybe he would tell them to abandon their homes and families, go dwell in the desert, reject their culture, start a revolution. Yes, I think upon seeing John and hearing his words, the crowds might have expected pure radicalism. But what he said was even more drastic, so much that we might miss it. What should they do? They should go home. That's what he told them in so many words. Go home. What then should we do? Three groups ask this question, and each group gets its answer. What did he tell the tax collectors, perhaps the most deserving of suspicion? Keep in mind that tax collectors in John's time and place not only represented an imperial occupying power, but more notorious, but they were notorious for keeping the difference between what they took from the population and what Rome required of them. Tax collecting was a lucrative racket for those with little or no conscience. But remember, these tax collectors had undergone a change. What must we do? They asked John the Baptist. He told them, collect no more than that which is appointed to you. Then the soldiers approached him. These soldiers would have been Jewish men in the service of the local ruler who governs at the pleasure of Rome. They were in the unenviable position of enforcing the will of an occupying power in their own homeland. The local people despised them as traitors. They asked the same question as the tax collectors. What must we do? Well, John told them, extort from no one by violence, neither accuse anyone wrongfully. Be content with your wages. But the majority of the crowds were neither tax collectors nor soldiers. They were not public figures, but they were private individuals. And they wanted to know about the fruit they must produce. To them, John responds, he who has two coats, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. John the Baptist told all of these groups that the glorious fruits of repentance include much that is ordinary. They were to cease from extortion, bullying, and grumbling about money. They were to share with the destitute their surplus clothing and food. Now, John didn't ask for anything explicitly religious, such as fasting or temple sacrifices. He didn't demand the extraordinary, such as what he had done and relocating in the wilderness. What he told these groups is that opportunities to bear fruit appear right in front of them every day. What then should we do? That question is at the center of today's gospel. 
how many of us have asked that question as we look at the world today? My guess is that most of us have. How many of us have had circumstances in our personal life or relationships that left us with that question? I have. We know that question all too well. It's the question we ask when life is complicated and difficult and the world has gone mad. So let me ask you this, what's behind that question? What's really behind it? I think that question points to and reveals our sense of powerlessness. When I hear anyone ask that question, or when I hear myself ask that question, I hear us saying that we've come up against something bigger than ourselves. We're scared and overwhelmed. Life is out of control. We feel helpless to fix the situation. Most of the time, we know what to do. We make hundreds of decisions, big and little ones, life-changing ones, and some not so important. But in general, we know what to do. But when our world gets turned upside down, when life feels more like we can't handle, and when we feel powerless, that's when we cry out, what then should we do? If that question comes from a deep place within, then our response must also come from that same deep place. Our response to that question must begin not with what is happening around us, but what is happening within us. It must begin with our sense of powerlessness. Powerlessness is the source for much of our fear, anxiety, anger, and frustration. That same powerlessness, however, can be our way forward. It can open us to a new and different source of empowerment. It doesn't mean we have no choices. It means we must make different choices. We may be powerless to change the world, but we can choose to change ourselves. We may be powerless to escape the world, but we can choose to live a different way. Isn't that what John is telling those who come to him? He doesn't ask them to change the world, but to change themselves. He doesn't tell them to quit their jobs, but to live a different life. The crowds who came to him could not eliminate poverty, but they could share what they have with the cold and the hungry. The tax collectors who came certainly could not overhaul the tax code, but they could be honest. The soldiers, they could not end the Roman occupation but they could act with integrity and not abuse their power. In each of those situations, John focuses on people and relationships. His answers are simple, concrete, and practical. The message of John the Baptist remains timely. The challenge he placed before his hearers so many years ago still merits our attention. Share with those who have nothing, he told the people. Do more than drop the odd dollar in a Salvation Army kettle. Find more places where our gifts can bring joy and hope to those in despair. Be ethical in your business dealings, John said to those who had the ability to manipulate what they charged. Instead of outrageous corporate bonuses, people striving to extract financial gain when they have added no value, and greed that threatens to corrupt the kind and the good. We need a John the Baptist standing in the road on the way to Bethlehem. John said to not only the soldiers but to us, be content with what you have. Christmas is coming. What can I do to change? 
to be more generous? What questions are we asking in our inner selves right now? So what can I do specifically to live a more holy life? When we ask that question, God gets specific. Did you know that 60% of the people living in retirement homes never have a personal visitor? We are needed. We are needed in soup kitchens and in our own at church at church preparing. We are needed in our own church preparing and distributing meals from St. Peter's on Christmas Day. We are needed to help and contribute to our food pantry on a regular basis. We are needed to take someone to a doctor's appointment and stay with them, holding their hand. We are needed to pay attention to a relative, friend, or neighbor who needs special care and concern. Pray. We are needed to pray. Pray that the tragedy that happened at our borders this week, when a seven-year-old child died from dehydration after crossing perilous territory with her dad and was just seeking help from us, will cease and never happen again. A long time ago, John the Baptist was preaching. He was powerful, an authentic prophet, a real messenger from God, who spoke the true word of God. Some of his own rejected him. But there was another group who heard God's word from John. Maybe it was just a moment, a sentence, a paragraph. God got inside of them and started to change their hearts. And therefore they ask the question, what then can I do? It is one of the most important questions of life. Clearly on this Rejoice Sunday, John understood something hard about joy. Joy is not always happiness. Sometimes it will be a burden. Yes, there will be pain. But the one Jesus for whom John is preparing the way is trustworthy to help you and be there for you. He knows you. He sees you. He will gather you to him. Gaudete. Rejoice.